You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jasper. And I'm Autumn. This is episode 134 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast and... By the time you'll be listening to this, it's going to be the middle of July, but we are actually pre-recording to enable us to take a summer break. Oh. And uh, yeah, this way you should, <laughs> you'll still get new podcast episodes. And in the spirit of summer vacation, we decided to do something different today because we've collected questions from your dear listeners. And in uh, today's episode, we are planning to answer all of those. And uh all the things that you guys want to know. So I'm looking forward to this one, Autumn. Yes, I love it. And listeners actually were the ones who pointed out that we've done now 134 podcasts and we've hinted about our books and we've mentioned we have books and the theme, you know, the when we come on says we've had more than 20 books, but we never actually talk much about our own writing and our own books. So thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> And we will make up for it in this episode. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to talk about uh, our books in the sense that uh, trying to get you interested in reading them at all, what? but more like your your uh, your reader listener questions in terms of what you wanted to know about our own writing journey and and those yes. sorts of things. So absolutely, so yeah. that'll be fun. Yeah, it should be very fun. Now I'm dropping things here as well. Oops. <laughs> I've already said I'm having a Monday. You can't have a Monday too because that'll be a disaster. Yeah, and you already uh, jinxed the fact that maybe maybe the recording will screw up and all that kind of stuff. So, and and usually when you when you say something like that, Autumn, you make me nervous because you have a very <laughs> bad influence on electronics. <laughs> I do. I'm trying not to touch my computer or my microphone or the light I've got going on as we're recording because I've definitely had <laughs> a total Monday worth. It's been exciting. I mean, I usually, you know, things in life I've mentioned, I felt like I was cursed, you know, I think January, February, but suddenly it's like something broke and I'm getting like five emails about this and six emails about that. And it's exciting. But there's a point where I was like, oh, this is fun. This is so neat. And oh my gosh i'm getting a little nervous but that's a, it's a good it's a good thing it is a good thing but i don't need it's to break anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was i was joking with you last uh, week uh, i can't remember if we were recording or if it was off air but i was joking with you last week that uh while your husband was away that how you were gonna eat because the fridge was probably break once you touched it <laughs> probably it hasn't yet um, that yet. I haven't been able to fix, but it's <laughs> <laughs> so it has broken slightly. <laughs> oh, so it has its moments, and I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, plus I've got the weather going on today. We, it's lovely. We we're having a very wet spring, and yesterday was gorgeous. We went for a hike up Mount. Oh, I can never pronounce it. Want to ask to cook? Want to ask to quit? I should say, which is this lovely mountain that's um overlooking the. Connecticut River and the town we live in and so we did a lovely hike and all the mountain laurel are in bloom and it was sunny and it was warm and today we woke up to thunderstorms and it has been pouring all day and you can see I have this lovely like white selfie light that's just gorgeous um, so I'm sitting in the dark waiting for more thunderstorms to roll through but yeah, you know so far so good <laughs> hopefully things are better for you yeah, over and there. Yeah it's pretty dark here as well yeah, you can it see looks that dark. It's, it's, it's quite uh, well. The people watching on YouTube at least can see it's quite dark here. It's, it's yeah. getting late evening here on my end as well. So, uh, no, it, I don't have that excuse. Yeah, it's but like did you have the a... afternoon? <laughs> yeah, it's just bad weather then. But uh, yeah, but you did you have a good week otherwise? Yes, otherwise good. The work has gotten busy. Drawing's gotten busy. I love the hike. My husband came back. That was kind of nice. I had some time together, so that's all good. I love the hike, feeling it a little bit in my legs today, but that's all right. So is he. So that's good. 
Yeah, and now the light went out. Yeah, you touched the yeah, light. I knew it. I did. <laughs> I should never touch these things. No. We'll see. All right. <laughs> My husband's oh, looking for a... Pod <laughs> podcast listeners can't see this, but her light keeps going out. It was exactly like I predicted. <laughs> and now it went out again. Oh, that's the worst thing that happens. We'll be fine. <laughs> uh, I'm getting technical assistance because oh, you know I need it. So let's just talk about you for the moment. <laughs> How is things in Denmark? Well, yeah, it's it's not been good to be very honest. It was a really? it was a terrible weekend. Um, yeah, as I mentioned in last week ep last week's episode, uh, Denmark was going to play Finland for our first match in the European Soccer Championship. Um, and it was also for the first time ever that Denmark is one of the host nations. So it was like on our home field. Right. And, uh, and I, you know, with COVID going on for so long and everything, we've been waiting for like one and a half year for this match. And everybody was looking so much forward to it. And, um, and also because... The tournament structure is in such a way that no two matches are ever played at the same time. So basically everybody in the entire world who likes soccer was able to tune in, right? And then oh, wow. uh, something really terrible happened in that match. And um, to be honest, it affected me quite a lot over the weekend. Um, and I'll try to do my best to talk a bit about what happened here for also for those people who who maybe don't watch soccer and or, or of course by the time you listen to this this is slightly in the past so it'll probably be a bit easier to listen to mm -hmm. um, but I'll try not to get emotional talking about this but I have to admit that over the weekend I was quite emotional because I it, it was really tough so normally I try to um, keep uh, upbeat and a uh, nicer uh, you know tone in these podcasts but I'm not sure I can manage this sex section here but I'll try, okay? Because mm. I feel good. like it is important to sort of talk about stuff like this when it happens. So um, about 40 minutes into this match, mm. um, one of the Danish players uh, called Christian Eriksen, he suddenly just collapsed in on the field of play. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first, when I saw it, I was sort of wondering what happened because... There was no other players near him. You know, there was nobody tackling him or anything like that. So I was sort of like, that was, that looked a bit weird why he just fell to the ground. And then um, uh, very soon when the the camera sort of found his face, if I could put it like that, you know, mm -hmm. they filmed him, his face and he had this very lifeless stare in his mm. eyes and I, I just could instantly see something is very very wrong here and um, his his teammates came running uh, those nearest to him of course knew much more than we could from watching on TV obviously um, but he was in the beginning he was just he was just lying there and he was shaking and uh, then he stopped shaking and didn't move. Um, and then it became quite apparent that he had a cardiac arrest in, in the middle of the field. Um, so the, the paramedics came onto the field and they spent like 20, 30 minutes giving him, you know, what is it called in English? Heart, heart massage? What uh, do you, I don't know. Like def I think I, because I did see, I read the BBC and I did see a little bit about this, but yeah, they gave him a defibrillator and some CPR. Yeah, CPR, yeah, exactly. Uh, and they probably spent like 20, 30 minutes doing that. And and all the, the Danish players, uh, you know, his teammates, they sort of formed a circle around him. Yeah, and see, this this is where it gets a bit tough for me because it it was so powerful images, you know. These people just tried to shield him from the cameras, all the people watching, mm -hmm. um, while he was just basically fighting for his life. Oh my gosh! Uh, it was it was tough. Um, 
I'm surprised I didn't. I mean, I understand it was, uh, I'm sure it was a live event, but I'm almost surprised that they didn't pan back or give a little more privacy to him at that point. Yeah, I mean the 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 network I watched it on. They they as soon as they noticed what was really happening, mm -hmm. they switched to a camera from a helicopter outside, so just looking overlooking the city of Copenhagen. But there were other TV stations who who filmed the whole thing, um, which was not on the channel I watched, which mm -hmm. I'm pretty 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 happy about that I didn't yeah. see. I really feel that's that's really terrible, but. I, th those images of his teammates has just made it around the world since. Mm. Um, and on one hand, it makes me really proud the way that it behaved. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, it was also really tough. Um, and I think the worst part when was that I need to breathe a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, take your time. At some point, they brought his wife onto the field. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's hard. It, it was too much. Yeah. Um, oh, she must have been broken down. Yeah, and then the other TV station, they filmed this, and which I... I was really upset about learning afterwards that they yeah. had filmed his wife standing there, obviously completely devastated and thinking that he was dead because I thought he was dead too at that point. Yeah. Um, and um, our team captain and our goalkeeper went to his wife and tried to console her, mm -hmm. which was also really tough. Um. Yeah, this is not good podcast material, I know, but it, <laughs> I think it's important. Um, yeah. And I think it was like an hour later. It was then announced that he was alive and he, he had been taken to the hospital. So, so that was all good. Yeah. Um, and I think as well in, in good sportsmanship, um, Our Finnish neighbors did a really wonderful job. Mm. Um, so they were like chanting his name in the stadium as well. Oh, that is really good. Yeah. I know I had read that they had um, halted play even after he'd gone off the field until they heard uh, from the hospital that he was going to be, he was at least alive. So I thought that was really, yes. I thought that was decent of, you know, all sides. The players were obviously, and I think I remember reading that some of the Denmark players were not able to continue play. Some of them could, but that there were some players just so affected that they're like, I, I can't do this today. So it was a huge No, and that's thing. probably where I want to maybe go a bit into what happened there because that's not so emotional because I'm upset about that part, which is then easier for me to talk about. Okay. Uh, because but honestly, I, let's, I want to move a bit away from all that because it's it's yeah. too emotional still. I'm, I'm even struggling with tears right now as I speak because it's just too much. Um, but let me move into a bit of a rant because I can better handle that. <laughs> okay, let's rant now. Let's get that out. <laughs> yeah, because... UEFA is the body of uh, authority body who, who sort of governs the uh, European soccer championship. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they stopped the play, as you said, uh, mm -hmm. when this happened. And, and everybody just went to the dressing rooms and, uh, after a while. Uh, they stood mm -hmm. on the pitch for a long while, while the treatment was still going on. And then they, when he was taken to the hospital, so they, they left the pitch. Mm -hmm. And then it proved afterwards that... that UEFA had given them a choice. Mm -hmm. And UEFA had said, either you can play the rest of the match today or you can meet again tomorrow at 12 o'clock noon and you can play then. Okay. And this, is to me, is just so freaking unacceptable. 
For, for, number one, you, you cannot ask people who've just stood around watching their teammate almost die mm -hmm. to make a decision about, do you want to play now or do you want to play tomorrow morning when you haven't slept all night probably because you're, you're so worried about everything that's happened and you're sort of out of yourself. Mm -hmm. And even asking the people to make a decision on what your preference is completely unacceptable. But then, because they had no other choice, The Danish play, uh, players, then, well, the Finnish players were very, again, they're wonderful people, very sportsmanship. Mm -hmm. So they said, whatever the Danish players will do, we will will do. They decide. That, that's very nice. And then because the Danish player knew that if we go home and don't even sleep and have to get up tomorrow morning early, get back in here, change again, warm up again, we're, we're not going to be able to play. So they decided if that's our choice, Then let's let's play it, get it over with. Right. So they came onto the pitch again, and they played the second last five minutes of the first half, and then the second half. And mm. of course, hats off to those guys for doing that. That's incredible, but yeah. it's also shitty because <laughs> yeah. they were not in the game at no. all, not at all. I'm uh, sure you, you know, see that. It, it yeah. doesn't matter right now. Uh, the sports part of it and the results doesn't matter. We did lose one nil, uh, but again, the 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 header that was headed it was like straight at our goalkeeper and our goalkeeper is one of the best mm -hmm. and he fumbled it into the net clearly not concentrating at all um, mm -hmm. and then a bit later on in the match we got a penalty kick which our striker also wasn't you could see it in his face you know just waiting standing there waiting for the referee to blow the whistle so he could kick he was standing there looking into the ground like he's somebody who, who had lost everything almost like and that's not how you stand when you're about to take a penalty no. kick you are You're ready. You're ready to fire up because you're going to score now and you, you are there, right? And he was yeah. not there at all. And mm -hmm. he made the weakest kick ever. You know, a 10-year-old could have kicked that ball better. So, and I'm, I'm just so upset about the fact that UEFA gave them such a shitty... Uh, first of all, the choice is like between two bats. So yeah. it's not really a choice. And then secondly, it's sort of forcing them to play when they're not there at all. And, they, and this is like the European Championship. It, it's... You have to be at your best. Yeah, and, and then we are there. forced to play, and and oh fuck, I, I don't know. It, it's I'm just so upset about it. No, it is. I so. wonder if they will rethink any of their rules after this, because I mean, I've been paying attention to the French Open, where you know a major player withdrew because she meant, said her mental health. They weren't supporting her, so I maybe some yeah. maybe something different will come out of this as well because. Yeah, those are, I mean, they should be given like a week, which I understand they're playoffs and things are happening and there's a timeline, but, but they need to. Yeah, but to... timelines can never be more important than human life. No, exactly. I, mean, they, they, I, I think the only decent thing UEFA could have done mm -hmm. would have been as an authority, they make a decision right there on the spot to say, everybody go home. Mm -hmm. don't worry about it, just go home. And yeah. then send everybody back home. And then the day after, UEFA could contact the teams and then say, okay, let's figure out when can we play a match yeah. in the coming days. That would have been the only humane thing way of doing that. Yeah. It is not okay to ask people who are in a crisis and in shock f to, make to make a decision, a decision about two shitty options. Yeah, no, somebody who was not meant emotionally and mentally involved in that should have been the one to be the adult and say hey this is what we're going to do to help people out yeah and, and just say go home yeah. go home right we'll talk about it tomorrow that's, that's what it. A, that's what a real parent would have done would have been hey you know what yeah. don't worry about the game so. everyone go home and and take care of yourself and hug your wife yeah so yeah uh well this was a much tougher to get through than i even thought so sorry about that <laughs> listeners but uh, i don't know I, i just felt it was important to talk about something when it really um moves it you. impacted me quite yeah. a lot over the last couple of days so um I can tell maybe we should just move on to something else now all right if you're ready if only if you're ready we will continue on A week on the internet with the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Okay, let's uh, get, get back to some business here, and I can start <laughs> all my struggling uh, with crying and not. <laughs> um, so I was writing a post for. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I was writing a post for our patron supporters about the issue of discoverability on online oh, platforms yeah. like Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, because that is really our greatest challenge in today's publishing landscape, as I see it. Yes, I agree. 
And I wrote something very, very similar for today's uh, release, which of course today being a month ago when this is released, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> also in discoverability, but talking a little bit about Vela and some pros and cons to that as well. And maybe some tips on how to use it for discoverability. So that's definitely something we seem to be doing on Patreon recently. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And we also talk more about discoverability in our free self-publishing success course. So if you want, you can go to www.amwritingfantasy.com and um, you can get the hands on the free course there. But I did learn a few things while writing this Patreon post and I I thought maybe I could just share. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, well, technically, okay, this first one I was aware of already, but uh, I still think it was quite important, at least as a reminder, maybe if other people were aware as well. But uh, the price at which you sell your books actually plays a huge role in the book and in how the book will show up in searches on Amazon, for example. So, for example... Uh, I was linking to some material in the post that shows sort of the behind the scenes of how I'm reaching this conclusion, but I'm not going to go there. That's that the Patreon supporters can read that stuff. But just as the conclusion is that, for example, if you take a book selling 10 copies a day Mm -hmm. at 6.99 in a search, that will rank significantly higher than a book selling 10 copies at 1.99. So the same amount of copies sold, but the one with the higher price will rank significantly higher. I didn't know that already, but I think it's a good reminder uh, uh, that um, it doesn't matter what you're selling, the price, what price you're setting. Okay, so it does. So I thought, for one, that that's quite important. That is important. That is a good tip. Yeah, and then the other part, which was uh, also very interesting, was that. It showed that the percentage of people who buy the book after seeing it in a search for that keyword, you mm-hmm. know, the keyword, they searched, so let's say they searched for epic fantasy and the book showed up, they clicked it and bought it. Okay. The, the people who actually do that matters a lot more than you might think. Because the more people that buy the book after finding it through a specific search mm-hmm. will make Amazon position the book much, much higher in the search results, oh, which, of course, then will make you sell a lot more books. That Yeah, that would really help selling books. That's interesting. Yeah, so that no means way, that... <laughs> there's no way of faking that one either. So it's not something you have to... It helps to have good keywords then so that people will link and it fits your book and so when they find it, they buy it and then it'll elevate the book. Yeah, but yeah, but where I really find this one interesting is it's about several things. It's it's about the keywords, like you say, that that mm-hmm. the keywords you use are related to what the book is about. But it's also about the book cover and the book description because mm-hmm. when they search, let's say, epic fantasy, let's say you sh- you you your book shows up in that because you have some good keywords and so on. Uh-huh. Um, but if your book cover is not signaling signaling to the reader that this is epic fantasy, and if the book description don't clearly show that this is epic fantasy, and this is what you, this book is about the things that you normally associate with epic fantasy, then they won't buy it. And the more times people will ignore it, then the more Amazon will move it down the list. Right. Yeah. yeah so okay. I think it it speaks a lot about. A lot of the things we've talked about over and over again, but how all the different elements like covers, book title, keywords, book description, it all links together and everything has to work towards the same goal. And if it does, then it'll help you significantly in the ranking. And and I think that's, that's, that's very good to always keep in mind. Yes, that is very good. It it really, it is a combination of everything. So it's like you really need to be strong, at least moderately strong in everything. They all have to tie together to a whole that will be stronger than all the individual parts. And hopefully you'll rank better that way. Yeah. I mean, there are more details in that post for our patron supporters. um, But uh, I I think, honestly, the more time I spend looking into book marketing and and Mm -hmm. all those topics the more convinced I become that ranking is the single most important element when it comes to the success of a book because you can put Facebook ads, mm-hmm. Amazon ads, all that behind it. But if you can make the ranking work for you, it's 100 million times easier than trying to come up with new Facebook ads to push some sales. 
That's very true. So, Remembering uh, to go, you know, tweak your AMS ads or find new targeting books and words. So, yeah, that's a very good point and a good reminder to look over your blurbs, look over your book cover, look over your keywords, get everything going together and move your book up a little bit organically. Yeah, indeed. Yes, exactly. So at any rate, if you, dear listener, also want access to these kind of posts and much more, then you could consider supporting the Am Writing Fantasy podcast. We try to give you a lot of things in return. <laughs> yes. And uh, you will, of course, also help to keep the lights on here. So this this podcast, for example, is completely free. So it is entirely funded by our wonderful Patreon supporters. So uh, yes. there is a link in the show notes. And I think that's not very fair that you mentioned keeping the lights on since mine went off like three times before I got my guru's technical assistance to fix it. So That's why we need some supporters, because the light keeps going off. It does on my end. <laughs> and on to today's topic. Yeah, so I have questions. collected all the questions, Autumn. I'm so glad you did, because... It's a Monday, and I, sh- I showed up, and my light went <laughs> you out. Showed up. That that's actually a success in itself. <laughs> some Mondays it is, and I think listeners will agree with me. There are some Mondays that just showing up should get you a reward for the day. Yes, indeed. So maybe the simplest thing would be that I just sort of read them out, uh, and then we answer them one by one. Maybe that's the easiest way to do this. I think that sounds swell. Okay, and uh, and there is no you know significant order in this. It's it's just the questions, and the questions are the way we got them. So okay. we're just gonna answer whatever the listeners want to know. And that's that sounds it. good. Sounds lovely. So the first question is: uh, Have you tried other genres than fantasy? Oh, I do. You want me to start with this one? Yeah, sure. Sure. So yes, definitely, I have. I have written a post-apocalyptic. I've written. Epic fantasy, urban fantasy, dark fantasy, and I've That's done nonfiction. I know, but it's still different <laughs> veins of it. I kind of sometimes think about, I don't, not romance, but maybe a cozy mystery or something, because I did grow up with Nancy Drew, and my best friend loved Nancy Drew. So I've definitely had that kind of, I love that problem, like your Sherlock Holmes. I love that kind of sleuthing and clues especially writing a plot like that i think would be a fun challenge but i haven't written one yet so mostly post-apocalyptic slash dystopian and of course nonfiction with both you and both with my husband so those count too and some real life travel writing sagas as well <laughs> yeah well for me uh the only other genre uh, if yeah, I guess nonfiction is a genre, uh, but that's that's the only other thing I've written. Uh, I've written, yeah, some some with Autumn, some of my own uh, nonfiction. I, I did the fantasy map making book. Uh, I did one on how to ran, write fantasy book descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I did one on Twitter marketing as well. I since unpublished that one because it's uh, yeah. Twitter. Twitter yeah. changed the rules and the entire book sort of became obsolete. So thank you very much, Twitter. Or maybe stupid me for writing a book where the algorithms might change uh, two months later. But yeah, there you uh, go. You live and learn. And I mean, I know you and I know you had this huge file on world building notes. And I know you must have other notes, like just stacks of ideas of things to <laughs> write as well. <laughs> If they're physical, they would be stacks. But yes, uh, I bet you have some folders of other ideas you've got in there. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) But I have no plans to write more nonfiction books in any foreseeable future, to be honest. Uh, But but that's not uh, true. We're actually slowly, because it's on on me to do it, I've been trying to consolidate all of our blog posts and things into a cohesive whole. Yeah, see, we're working on one now. We just... Yeah, that's true. But but, yeah, that's true. But I guess I don't think about it as writing one because it's more consolidating stuff we already have and putting it in one place. But yeah, technically you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so next question is, have you both ever met in real life? No, not yet. That's what's so COVID. COVID. That's all I'm saying is COVID and bad timing on trips. I've made it to, since we've started working together, I've made it to London and we were so close, but I was with in-laws and it was 
com- it was complicated. It was a very complicated to sneak away. So it didn't happen. That's and a then, diplomatic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know my mother-in-law doesn't listen to this, so I'm not too worried, but <laughs> I will still be <laughs> diplomatic. And then my parents were actually going to go and do a Norwegian cruise. And I was like, Copenhagen, we're going to swing through and I'm going to stay here. I'm going to come early and COVID. So yeah, not yet soon. Not yet soon. Yeah. Well, we do have, we, I think, I can't remember now if we talked about it last week uh, on last week's ec- episode or not, but we do have some plans on trying to, if COVID will allow, yes. we have some plans on trying to put like an am writing fantasy getaway together in 2022. Yes. Uh, so the weird thing would be that that's probably going to first time we meet in person as well, I guess. It could be, <laughs> but, uh, unless something else happens, but at least we have actually Zoom meet the extended families. So yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. We have done that. Um, so that yeah. was really that's so fun. I got to see your kids. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah. So, but yeah, meeting in real life, yeah, it, it's incredible to think about because ah. <laughs> we've done so many podcast episodes. We've done courses together. We've yes. written nonfiction book, fiction books, all of that over several years, and we haven't even I met know. in person. Is that insane? Know. It is insane. And we've got to fix that hopefully soon. And you and my husband already pick on me like totally like you're on the same page, which is, I just can't wait for real life. (laughs) Yeah, it's only going to get better. (laughs) Absolutely. I will touch things and break them. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to put, store things away before you come here. (laughs) Oh, let me hold your phone. (laughs) Yeah, no. All technical stuff goes into the closet with a padlock oh, on it. I have to see your terabyte computer. No, I really do. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. Okay, next question. Which comes first, story idea or new world concepts? Oh, I think for me, story idea. But every once in a while, and I know you do too, but every once in a while you come up with a story, something part of a world to me. And I'm like, I've got to include that. i got to find yeah. a world for it. But yeah. I think to me, character is almost before story idea. Like I'll come up with a scene and I don't know much else, but I, or I feel this draw to a character and then the story starts developing. So character, story, world for me. Yeah, same for me. Uh, story ideas definitely before world, uh, but I, I would have responded exactly like you did, Autumn. So uh, let's just move on to the next one. <laughs> it's probably why we're working together. So hey, yeah. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> okay, next one. Have you read all of each other's books? Oh, <laughs> that's a mean question for that, you. <laughs> that's too many books. <laughs> that's so funny. No, she writes too much. <laughs> that's yeah. so funny. <laughs> oh no i actually have i have all your books because sh- i format all your books and actually yeah. help with the covers now but i and so i've read bits and pieces because i've been formatting them but except for what we've written together i haven't finished your keystone bone trilogy which i should one of these days <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, have- I, I read born of water yeah, um, which is like my but, worst one. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that, but that's exactly how I feel about that as well. So oh. you don't have to read it. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I trust you with our new stuff, right? Well, yeah. Well, we we read the stuff we write when we write it together, anyway. Yes, so we do. I I guess that counts. I think but, that counts. Yeah. <laughs> so answer is no. No. <laughs> we have not. <laughs> no, because I write too much for him. <laughs> yeah, you do. I, I'm not going to read 20 books or something. <laughs> You're a slow reader. You have to admit. So if you read like a book a day, you'd probably be all set. But you yeah. you, you, you take yeah. say you take a little bit longer. So that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I'm a very slow reader. Yeah. All so. Right. <laughs> okay. What got you started with writing? Oh, oh that's a good one. So, um, yeah, I, you know this story, obviously, I guess. And we've mentioned it on podcasts, but I I always liked writing. I always was drawn to reading. And I did actually win a contest in my high school in my senior year on writing, which I just kind of always forget about. But I didn't take it seriously. I was um, big into art. I was studying studio art, actually, and English in college. 
but it was outside of that when I was working on my master's that I started writing. I'd get bored in class and I'd flip to the back of the notebook and I would start writing stories down um, instead of taking notes. And eventually my husband actually found one of those and he read it. He's like, you wrote this? This is good. You should keep writing. And so I kept writing and I did some adult ed classes thinking I would do the querier letters and a publisher. And I did try all that. But then my husband gave me an article on a government employee who was in a similar vein that I did. And she did self-publishing. And he's like, you should try this. And I think he gave that to me in early December. And in February of 2012, I published Born of Water. Yeah, and I don't want to cheat in answering <laughs> this one, but... Uh... Maybe I'll do the short version because actually, if you go back to episode 128, <laughs> we listed a number of interviews we just did. And on all of those interviews, we were asked this question. So we, yes. I felt like we answered it like at least five different <laughs> places now. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe the very short version was that um, I had an idea that maybe one, one day when I would retire, then I would write something. I don't know why I had that idea, but that's that sort of always or for a very long time sat with me, that thought. Uh, but then during summer vacations, we always go to Finland and um, we go to the sauna and uh, there's just peace and quietness there and uh, no stressful day-to-day -day activities or anything like that. So, And I, then I just started thinking, why, why is it that I have an idea in my head that I should sort of postpone things until I get retired? Why, why couldn't I just start writing? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just a little every day, just, you know, I could just start. And then yeah. I sort of thought, yeah, why not? So next day I started and uh, I haven't stopped since. Yay. It was some god awful, awful <laughs> uh, beep, uh, what I wrote, but uh, and it got deleted and I don't even have it anymore, but, oh, uh, wow. but I started. Because uh, I think I wrote a trilogy before I released uh, my Epic Fantasy trilogy, And my mom, of course, loves it, <laughs> but it is not published. <laughs> I think I broke every single writing rule you should, the ones you should follow in the first like five pages. I've tried to edit it and I'm like, it's just, but I do think I still have the digital files somewhere, somewhere, stored somewhere. Unless you, you've broken them or them with your fey influence. Yeah, they're probably corrupted. But <laughs> yeah, corrupted file is what it's going to say when probably. you try to open it. <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay, what made you decide to co-write a fictional book? Oh. Why did we decide to co-write? I oh, can answer if you don't know. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, well, we created a world together and we had to do something with it. I think it's your yeah, fault. I, I... Yeah, maybe. It, maybe it was my fault, actually. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Fault. But uh, I think it was mostly from a pure um, like business point of view, meaning that co-writing fictional books would, of course, allow us to write more books and faster. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and I think it was purely from like a financial and efficiency point of view that we decided, why don't we try to start doing this? Because... At the point in time when we decided to start co-writing fictional books, uh, we had already done so many other things together. So we knew that we were able to work together and uh, we knew that we could, um, that our ways of thinking, if you want to call it that, <laughs> alliance. Yes. So it wasn't really that big of a leap at that point to say, why don't we just start writing some fictional stuff as well? We did test the waters a bit with a, with a short story first, just to sure. see like, will this work or not? And it worked fine. So we just continued. Yes. Um, but I think that that is basically why. It is mostly like business decision or more than anything else. Yes. And it helps that we're friends. So that even if we haven't met in yeah. person. Yes. I think it's worked out very well, though. I seem to. Well, I'm finishing up my last independently written book. So once that's done and off my plate, then it'll just be ours and... Who knows, maybe a little Vela story here or there if I feel like I need to dabble. But yeah, it it is really exciting. I cannot wait to release this trilogy. No, indeed. Yeah. Okay, next question is, what tropes were you determined to avoid? Oh, I forgot about I know this, this question. Yeah, you started this one. Let me think. Okay, you can think while okay. I can at least give you two tropes that we definitely wanted to avoid. Oh, yes. Uh, one was to having way too powerful of a character 
because that happens not all the time, but it happens fairly frequent in some uh, epic fantasy stories. And when the character is just too powerful, the story also loses a lot of its tension. So we definitely wanted to not do that trope. And the other trope that we really wanted to avoid was also... We we did want to include some of the more traditional fantasy races like elves mm-hmm. and dwarves, but we wanted to avoid your typical version of those races. So we we have elves and we have dwarves, mm-hmm. but ours are, should we just say, significantly different? <laughs> yes, I think that's a very would fair say. way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, yeah, I I love our differences. They're incredibly interesting. So yeah, I definitely think those were the main tropes. I mean, we also knew we wanted to stay out of like fantasy romance. So it's not yeah. really it's more of a subplot than a but trope. It, yeah, but it's there. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. There is a bit of romance in the story as well Absolutely. because sh- I think there always should be. Yeah, but that that's my personal point of view. But a lot of readers like at least a subplot with some ro- romance, so we do have that uh, in our yeah. stories as well. But um, uh, yeah, but I d- can you think of something else, or should we move to the next question? I, I'm trying to think because I mean, there's so many. There's nothing because the world is so big, and we want to write so many different stories. I would say except for like not having this overwhelming power, but we might end up with some powerful characters, but I think there's always good oh, yeah, counterpoints yeah. and tension. I think almost yeah. everything is on the table, um, except for bad writing. So I think we're also, <laughs> also I mean, we're, Hopefully we're bad writing is not a trope. Yeah, exactly. For <laughs> I the hope next, <laughs> For the next series that we want to work on, we're exploring something that we're even having a hard time finding examples of. So, I think we should have just got to do some pirates. Don't tell people we're doing fantasy pirates. I know it's going to be so cool, but yeah. yeah, So I would say there's not much that we could not find some way of going. Oh, that's a horrible idea. But if we did this, we could turn it on its head. So (laughs) I think anything's going. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Next question. How long did it take to, Oh, sorry. How long did it take you to fully complete your first novel? (laughs) Oh, That's mean. I take it they want the first one that we actually published is correct. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. I like to say that Born of Water, I think, took me three to five years. Ooh. I do. I Well, I, I started it, then I ended up writing handwriting a story that became the whole series of Friends of My Enemy. And then I went back to Born of Water and worked on it again. I ended up rewriting it three times because the first time was just typical fantasy tropes. It was boring and I knew it could be so much better. And then the, th- so I rewrote it. And then the second time after that, so the final time I rewrote it the third time was um, I just thought the characters weren't jiving and fitting. I had so much to learn, even with an English degree and writing classes and creative writing classes and adult ed classes. It just, had so much learning to do. And I still look back at it and go, oh God, I had so much learning to do. <laughs> but yeah, it took a long time. But then Rule of Fire was a year. Spirit of Life was like nine months. And when I did Friends of My Enemy, I did four and a half books in a year. So I got faster and better. Definitely better. <laughs> Definitely better, yes. <laughs> Luckily yeah. enough, that how it's how it goes. <laughs> yes, it is very much so. <laughs> yeah, I think my my first book was one and a half year. I think. Oh, that's not bad. Um, no, but it's not quick. <laughs> At <laughs> least, I mean, I know. Well, all of this is relative. Um, one person's quick is another person's slow. So yes. yeah, but one and a half year, I think, for the first book, and then book number two took me. Maybe half a year, a bit more than half a year. Same for book three. So, and nowadays I think, well, we're down to like four months, three, four months. I think combined. I mean, when I, each of my books in the Tainted Face series, which is the last one I'm releasing on my own, I was writing a book in two and a half months, and those were 80 to 90,000 words. A little, I think the last Mm. one is a little bit longer, and that took, that took a little bit longer, but. Yeah, and then editing, of course. So another it usually yeah, takes me a month to edit. So three and a half months yeah. for a complete book. That's yeah. I don't think I think I've gotten better. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, this one is interesting. Oh, it says, dear. what are your ambitions? <laughs> is that on writing or is that personal? <laughs> it just says, what are your ambitions? Uh, <laughs> I- I'm, of course, reading as, as part of the, you know, the author career. That's at least how oh. I read it. But All right. I was going to say, I know my ambition as a young young girl and still I would love to be the first botanist on another planet because that would be freaking cool. (laughs) Um, So barring that, because I'm probably not going to be the first botanist on another planet unless I trip into a wormhole and end up there on my own. Writing wise, I definitely, I, I don't, that's weird because I can actually say, of course I want to sell more books. I want more readers. I would love to, be as big as maybe Neil Gaiman or George R. R. Martin, but I'm also I do it because I love it as well. So I'm really happy. I've got over 20 books. I have to think about this one. What's your ambition at this point, besides maybe selling more and writing more? Yeah, um, that's why I think it's a good question because yeah. there's the more you think about it, the more layers there is to it. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I would like to, I would like to earn like a very healthy living from uh, from writing. That would be off, uh, awesome, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would really love to see our own fantasy world come to life on on a TV series <sighs> like on Amazon or or. Uh, uh, Netflix, Netflix or something that yeah. would just be awesome that I would, would love really that but, uh, so I guess that's an ambition that is an ambition I have to say I, I I think it would be really cool to be well known enough that like the release of maybe the last book of a series was almost like an event and if that was ever the case I would love to have on like other indie authors like have them do readings of their stories while we're waiting for my book's release because that would just be such a cool way to support the indie community to introduce them yeah introduce them to other new writers and even to have other writers i mean we want other writers to hopefully write in our world and i've thought about the tainted fae is kind of set up the same way where it could go into ways places where i can't write it so if someone else wanted to pick it up that would be really really swell to have kind of a world where people are like i want to write with you that would be fantastic yeah that would be cool yeah okay what are your favorite authors fantasy or otherwise that particularly resonate with your style or have influenced you oh <laughs> you don't want to start with this one? That's a tough one. It is a tough one. Well, I can say, obviously, you know this, that um, Anne McCaffrey is the author who had introduced me to fantasy writing. So I, I've i recently gone back and reread the first full book of hers, Dragonflight. That's the one that I read first. And I look read it. And it's not that the writing isn't good. The writing's good. But the themes, you know, what's allowed the one, the main hero literally uh, the heroine is afraid of him at times he shakes her and it's supposed to be love and i'm thinking yeah that's <laughs> if i had a 13 year old yeah it's like if i had a 13 year old girl we'd be sitting down and and talking about why this is inappropriate and yeah. how it's changed and this is never a way you should be treated by someone who loves you um so i was really shocked but i want to go back mercedes lackey i know changed my views on a lot of things she's a very liberal writer she's a very good writer i want to go back and reread like her um valdemar series uh herald mages and stuff and i want to read just a couple of those to see if they're as good as i remember as well and of course margaret Margaret rice and chasey hickman were uh, in there and there's Mm. a a few in there my favorite book is actually called the woodwife by terry windling which is odd because it is more, it's not even urban fantasy. It takes part in the desert. But the secret of this book is that it was inspired by my favorite artist, who is Brian Froud. So if no one has watched, you know, like Labyrinth and all their crystal, all those things are puppets. He and his wife created the Frouds. Um, he is absolutely, I got to see his work in person when I was spent my year in England. I went to one of his viewings and I got to see Brian Froud original paintings. It was fantastic. And there was a series of four books written based on his paintings. And I have all four of them. 
And yeah, ter- uh, the woodwife, which is the third one based on his paintings, is one of my favorite ever. Oh, nice. Yes. That's a much better answer than I can come up with, I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, I, I, well, I'm with you on Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Um, of course, the Dragonlance uh, oh, yes. stories were the ones that introduced me to fantasy when I was uh, a kid. And Did you uh, read Star of Guardians? That was also by them. That's a. It's more no, of a space opera. That. I highly recommend that. Not to interrupt, but you should read oh, that okay. too. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, well, I actually bought uh, just like a month ago. I bought all the Dragonlance books, uh, oh, the, so they awesome. on my Kindle, and I will read them all again. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. Uh, other than that, I would say probably Anne Rice. Oh yeah. Um, and because I have tried to read some of of Anne Rice's books that are not the Vampire Chronicle Chronicles, mm-hmm. but those are really not my favorite. Yeah. Um, some of them, it feels, I, I don't know if that's just coincidence, but there, I think there's a lot of like religion stuff in uh, her other books and uh, no, nothing against religion. People can do write and read what they want, but it's just not, not quite kind of my cup of tea, mm-hmm. but the vampire stories like Interview with the Vampire and all those books with Lestat and, and all that stuff, it, it's just, I still have this vivid memory of c- reading through these books and, and just the whole mythology she created about how the first vampires came to be and how it, everything evolved and all, all that origin story. It's just like, oh my God, I loved it. Yeah. It was just like it was so well done, and and it made perfect sense as well. There was there was logic to it. Um, so not oh holes. my god, I just yeah. love that. Yeah, she was yeah really good at foreshadowing and not having major plot holes and ca- characters that are just gripping and storylines that are gripping yeah. and not being afraid of killing things off. Yeah. So it was yeah, <laughs> I do love her books as well. So yeah, that's probably what has had the most influence on me. I think. Um, and it plays into my love for world building, of course. Yes. Uh, because that's, that's very true. much to do with world building. Yes. Okay, next question. Mm. Have you ever started a book that just died in the draft? How did you know it was dead? Huh. I w- actually, I can say yes, because I started writing book two to Black Throne, Black Blood, uh, which the first book yep. is out as a novella. And so I started writing the second book, which is to be entitled Evan Rue. And I was probably three or four chapters and maybe even as far as five chapters, which I mean, we're talking about a novella. So that's, you know, it's a good chunk out of 14 chapters. And I just said, no, I was struggling with it. I was in- hating the process and I absolutely love writing. And the funny thing is I was playing with two series at the same time. And I kept thinking about the tainted Fae. I'd released the first novella of both of them to see which one I wanted to write in. And I finally just said, you know what? I really want to write the tainted Fae. And I switched to it. And I think I like busted out the entire book one. And like I said, in like two and a half months. So it's not, I don't consider it fully abandoned because you and I are either talking about picking up that series or that theme or if we don't eventually i will finish it because i don't think i've ever i even that um series that my abandoned trilogy that i will never publish i finished it so i always kind of finish what i start yeah and again same for me <laughs> uh when i start something i i'll usually finish it so I, but technically i mean I, I have had um the first book in my keystone bone trilogy for example mm-hmm. uh, what is published is not the same as the what i started <laughs> so <laughs> i I've def, def, it definitely died in the draft and and i actually deleted fifty thousand words and started Ooh. over uh, and that hurt a bit at that point in time yeah. um, but I knew it was that because it was just organically evolving into a story that was not what I wanted to tell at all uh-huh. and hence I sort of learned maybe it's a good idea to plot <laughs> <laughs> that's very true <laughs> yeah okay have you ever released a book that flopped and what did you learn I would say um, Friends of My Enemy has all been had a hard life the entire time. Those who have found it 
have loved it and like given it five stars and they adore it, but they're definitely lower. And it is uh, AMS ads. I you cannot touch the word like dystopian post-apocalyptic it costs more to get clicks on those words because of novels like the hunger games you just can't afford it it's more than the book is worth so i don't even market it um but when i read it it is some of my favorite writing up to the tainted fae i actually adore the tainted fae more than friends of my enemy but i think it's better writing and better characters than my epic fantasy series so i feel bad for it that the people that it's like my unnoticed story that no one really knows about and a lot of the fantasy readers like oh i don't read post-apocalyptic because it's like it's near future it's real world Eh, but it taught me so much i wouldn't have been able to write the tainted fae which is also it's urban fantasy it's real world it's now so i wouldn't have been able to do it it was a great learning experience i still absolutely adore it i if anything was ever turned into a movie i think that one would fit very well because the characters are just rock solid awesome and they still talk to me (laughs) a lot (laughs) so i don't care i i would love it to do better uh the people who have read it would love it to do better the narrator would like it to do better but i'm yeah i'm 100 percent still in love with it i don't care Um, yeah, and I would say the first uh, book in my Keystone Bone Trilogy, Desolation, mm-hmm. has definitely not done very well. Uh, I mean, it gets downloaded quite well, but that's because it's perma-free. <laughs> so, but before then, it, it was very hard to sell any any copies of it. And, and I think, uh, because the question also asked what I learned, and I, I definitely learned three different things that, of course, I can mention here so that... Uh, Listeners can take that away and hopefully avoid the mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, but number one is that the world building is actually very rich in this book and in this series, um, and it's very well developed. Um, but the, like like you see often in new fantasy authors um, in debut novels, and I was like everybody else, so there, there is way too much info dumping in this book, <laughs> uh, way too much non-engaging ways of telling some you know history of the world or why things are the way they are and so on and that, that's not very good um so there is that secondly i use this book actually as an example in our self-publishing success course to show people what not to do <laughs> because <laughs> uh, the uh, the cover on this book is not signaling that this is fantasy and it's not doing a very good job mm-hmm. um and as I say, say in our course, I, you know, I use it as an example to show you not what not what not to do. And as I also said in the course, I should really change it, but I, I never get around to it because there's so many things I need to change in so many places. Uh, because this <laughs> book is, has been out for so many years, it's not as simple as just updating the cover on Amazon. I need to, I probably have like 200 different tweets scheduled that goes out oh. and then I need to change the image on all of those. And on websites and so on. I, I don't know. It's just too much work and I, I really don't feel like it. And on the other hand, it allows me to uh, show in the self-published sex course what not to do. So <laughs> so it actually serves a purpose nowadays. <laughs> well, and, I guess that's uh, fair. And number three, uh, last uh, thing I would say as a top three things I learned was that your character, your main character really needs to have some sort of personality or something that stands out. Mm. Um, whereas the main character in this book, uh, well, she definitely has hardship in her life because I'm always mean to characters, so <laughs> there is that. So she does not have an easy time at all, but she's not distinct enough. There, there's, mm. there's something missing in terms of making her more special. Um, so that's also something I learned. I learned a lot more about character development since I wrote that first book, but, but that's how it goes. Like Autumn said before, the more we write, the more we learn and we all have to start somewhere. And, uh, usually when we look back at, at, at our own first books, uh, years later, we always cringe, uh, uh, Autumn doesn't like her first book. I don't like my <laughs> first book. And I think uh, most authors feel the same. Yes. But there uh, are it doesn't mean loved. that it's a bad story at all. Uh, it, it, it's a good story, but it's it's just it, I could have written it a lot better nowadays if if I yes. did it now. But oh, yes. so is life. That's very true. Yeah, Born of Water would be so different if I wrote it now. But hey, I'm not going to go back and rewrite it because that's like twenty some books ago. Yeah. 
So we have two questions left, Autumn, and we're coming okay. up on an hour. So uh, yeah. let's do we'll the last two, and then I think that's enough. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> okay, so this one goes in style, story, description, etc. Would a piece of work change if you switched roles in your co-writing? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure I could pinpoint how, but definitely you have, I mean, I'm more of, I. you do the first draft and I do sort of like my overlayer and then I do the editing and we're still kind of working out the process. I still haven't, there's some days I got it all perfect and then there's some days I fumble with it a bit. So I'm still working it out, but I think it's it would be so different if we did it in reverse. I don't think it would work quite the same way. No, me neither. Uh, it would definitely be different for sure. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is that keep in mind that Autumn is a native English speaker. I'm not, <laughs> right? So switching it just makes no sense because uh, having having autumn doing the the last touches on it is just much smarter <laughs> rather than somebody who's not native english speaker trying to edit something an english speaker has written it it sort of does not make much sense to me uh, yeah, i think I, it would be pretty inefficient yeah I, I don't think we could do anything other than maybe me making a a more in-depth plot and you writing it and then me doing what i'm still doing and that just seems silly because we already we meet and we talk about the plot and we come up with it together. So why yeah. would I do it first? I'm like, yeah, I, I think it works yeah, out. And, and the other the way has and to the work other part out. Is, yeah, and the other part is that you quite like editing and I hate editing. <laughs> so there is that as well. <laughs> That's true. So if I ever want to torture yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, please don't. Don't make me edit anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll see. Okay. Last question. How do you know when to finish editing and put the book out? Oh, this is that's when you give it to me, right? <laughs> oh. Yes, uh, I send it to Autumn and it's done. <laughs> uh, so for me to answer this question, <laughs> I know it's done. Um, one, I always start with the content edit. I do a read through as fast as I can, as many chapters as I can in a day. And I have a spreadsheet which is very organized, and Jesper should be very proud of it because it's a gorgeous spreadsheet, and I usually avoid spreadsheets. If you like have to say plague. so yourself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I avoid them like the plague, so I have to have one good one. Um, and it's very in-depth, and once I have that, I go back and I fix the chapters that I have highlighted as these are the ones that need the most work, and then I go back and fix all the other ones, and then I go back and I run it through like Pro Writing Aid, and do all those changes. And sometimes if I have chance, if I feel like there's still something missing, I'll do one more fl you know, gentle fluff through. But then we send it to the editor. And then we send it to the other editor. And then they send it back to me. And I do the corrections and changes from both editors. And if I have a time, I'll read through it one more time. I do lots and lots and lots of passes. So basically, I know it's ready to be published when I'm dreaming it, eating it, sleeping it. I can recite passages from it by heart and have a whole book of quotes to the side that I can, <laughs> that I've pulled out. Uh, I, I have often laughed when readers are like, how can you remember about a book you've written? And I'm like, do you know, I have probably read this story 50 times. It's probably not that bad, but I've read the book that we're publishing at least 20 times before it is actually published. And that's when I know it's done. As And the biggest joke, uh, this is a joke I've read and or seen and other people have mentioned, that when you're editing and you change something and then the next editing pass, you change it back to how it was, you know you're done. <laughs> yeah, that was just what I was about to say because I, I fully agree that obviously you need to be thorough and that's also why we use two different editors to edit every book so it goes through uh, more people than, than just a single editor. Uh, and then we usually have some typos layers as well on the back end, uh, maybe right. 20, 30, 50 people on the back end who also goes through. So it's been a, through a lot of people before we publish it. But all that said, I still want to sort of post a slight warning out there that there is a time where you need to say, okay, this is as good as I can make it and let's move on mm -hmm. to the next book because keep Absolutely. polishing and polishing for, to get it like 0.5% better. That's just not worth your time. So all of this comes with a warning. 
<laughs> yes, there's a point of diminishing returns, which I was, was something I was trying to email you the other day. I actually finally remembered the word I was trying to say, but there's a point of diminishing returns <laughs> okay. on that little curve where, you know, it's yeah, taking more yeah. work than it's worth. And that's when you know, or the other way you know is when your writing partner says, here's the next book for you to work on. And you're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is going off to the editor. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think uh, above all, uh, thank you so much all to all you listeners for sending in these questions. Uh, I think actually this was great fun. Yes, very much so. We might have to do this once a year or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So uh, thank you so much for your questions. And uh, next Monday, if everything goes well, Autumn will have a great and interesting interview lined up for you. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on patreon.com slash amwritingfantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday. <laughs>